0: Thank you for tuning into this webinar, Preparing for Year-End and 2022 Payroll Compliance. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and human resource professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speakers are Cindy McSwain and Sonia Phillips. Cindy leads AGH's Outsourcing Services Group. Her team provides payroll, accounting, funds disbursement, controller, and other financial outsourcing services to numerous clients throughout the central U.S. Prior to directing the outsourcing group, Cindy served AGH's Assurance clients for 10 years, working with a wide range of middle market, closely held, and family-owned clients. Sonia and her team handle payroll processing, reporting, and tax filings for multi-state and multi-site companies. An AGH employee since 1991, she has expertise in both technology and employee benefits consulting as well as payroll. Before joining the Outsourcing Services Group, Sonia managed the technology infrastructure and plan processing system for AGH's Employee Benefit Services Division. Ever-changing legislation and regulations continue to complicate payroll compliance. Join Cindy and Sonia as they drill down into the specifics of what you must identify, calculate, analyze, and report by January 2022 to avoid the potential of fines and penalties for noncompliance.
1: All right. Thanks, Mike. Um, Thanks for joining us today. I always think Mike gets a little scared when he deals with Sonia and I about for the 15 minutes before we go live, but then Sonia and I pull it together. You know, we're
2: just getting our, you know, anxiousness out of of, of the presentation. (laughs) So
1: calm down, Mike. It's all okay. So um I'm really excited to have Sonia joining me again this year for the two payroll related webinars that we do. Uh Debbie, Dana, Rebecca, they're still all with the group. And Pamela too. And Pamela too. And we're adding an, another one at the um uh, right before the end of the year. So yep. that's kind of exciting. Um, you know, on one hand, it's hard to believe it we're already in December again and coming to the close of another year, but on the other hand, Uh, Just like 2020, uh, 2021 kind of just keeps giving us all the feels and the the feeling is like they're going to last forever. (laughs) Um, 2021 was another uh, rough one for the payroll professionals. Starting uh, in 2020, the the pandemic brought an onslaught of legislation, including new earnings codes for COVID-related leave, various payroll tax credits, as well as payroll tax deferrals for both the employee and the employer. Um, and these really continued to roll through most of 2021. Yeah, it seemed like a
2: lot of that COVID relief was uh, being processed through payroll. So all of us, all of you, um, we played a really crucial role in getting this legislation implemented, getting money to people um,
1: who needed it the most. So good job, everybody. Everybody gets a pat on the back. (laughs) So COVID-related legislation resulted in uh, multiple revisions of of an expanded 941. That thing just kept growing every time it came out. And a new form 7200 for the advanced payment of employer credits due to COVID-19. And on top of that, uh, there were two rounds of PPP loans based on payroll numbers and two rounds of PPP forgiveness applications, which again heavily relies on, on payroll data. And additionally, the employee retention tax credit is based on payroll and claimed on the 941. So, you know, we, we found that some software companies did a good job of keeping up, while others really didn't, and a lot of that work had to be Mickey and um, So, once again, this year, AGH has had a lineup of four different webinars dealing with year-end prep. Today's is the last one in this series, and it's going to cover year-end payroll uh, and preparing for the new year. Uh, we have already covered 2021 income taxes, 1099 reporting, and one on fringe benefits. So these three webinars, they're archived out there on our um, aghuniversity.com website if you want to access them um, if you didn't have a chance to catch them live. Uh, For those of us who are involved in payroll processing, the end of the year brings a lot of extra things to do, like we have time for it, right? Not only are we wrapping up the year, but at the same time we're preparing for next year. And in some cases, especially those that have um, weekly payrolls, uh, we only have really a week to make that transition from one year to the next and and all of this you know just lovely uh drops in during the holiday season when most people are trying to take time off to enjoy enjoy the holiday yeah most <laughs> you know while while it's been a whirlwind of the year we still have plenty of work to do um especially as we get near the end of the year we're going to spend the first portion today on preparing for our payroll year end including some best practices for gathering all the different forms of compensation, performing reconciliations, as well as a reminder of those critical dates and filing deadlines. Uh, The second portion of today's webinar, we're going to dedicate to looking at what changes are coming up for the next year in 2022. This is going to include looking at updated limits, rates, and things that we should be considering. So, if you joined us for the fringe benefit webinar a couple of weeks ago, we're going to be covering... Uh, portions of topics that we already discussed, but really kind of at a high level. Uh, some of our audience is different, uh, so we always think it's a good idea to, you know, just do some refreshers. Okay, so go ahead and get your answers now for the for the contest <coughs> submit them through the chat and uh, that way Mike can kind of monitor them as they come in. He, he needs something to do while we're yeah. talking. <laughs> so let's start by taking a look um, at what we should have already accomplished. By this point, and if not, we really need to get on it and start doing it now. So make sure that uh, you uh, order the forms that you need, such as your W-2s, W-3s, 1089s, various state forms. You may also need to be ordering ACA forms uh, if those apply to you, and make sure that you do some test printing so that there's no surprises come January. Yeah,
2: this is also a good time um, as you're talking about your W-2s and your forms. Make sure that you're getting any of your equipment serviced as well. So if you've got stuffers, pressure sealers. Uh, Make sure those rubber rollers are up to snuff and ready to go. Uh,
1: Make sure that you identify the processing dates for your last payroll of of the year, including any bonus runs, any necessary adjusting payrolls, such as those needed to add fringe benefits that might not have already been included. Also, consider the holiday schedule. Christmas and New Year's both fall on Saturday this year. Uh, The 31st falls on a Friday, It is typically with most businesses the observed holiday, but it is not a federal reserve holiday. So, ACH transactions will post on New Year's Eve on on Friday the 31st. Um, But make sure you have all the members of your team on the same page when it comes to all that scheduling. It's also important to include all forms of employee compensation before year-end, Uh, Most payments are made through our payroll systems, but we really still need to kind of go out and play detective and find anything else that might be lurking out there outside of the payroll system. Uh, Primarily, uh, you should check with your accounts payable and obtain information on any payments that were made to employees through um, the AP system. And then we have the fringe benefits and other types of compensable items. In a little bit, we're going to do a brief overview of some of the more common types of of those. Brief one. We already had a webinar on it. That's right. Um, man, don't, don't neglect system updates. Make sure all those updates have been installed and then actually test them. Uh, again, the world's a better place when we're prepared and there aren't nasty little surprises. And we all know that our payroll software vendors have just been, you know, work, working tons as well because of all the changes that have come down the pipe. So what else should we do right now to prepare for year-end? Even though it might not be a responsibility, we always think it's important to make sure that the payroll bank account is reconciled through November. This is another one of those areas where necessary adjustments can um, be uncovered. For example, make sure there's no odd-looking outstanding payroll tax payments hanging out there. I actually see that more often than what you guys would think. Um, Let's talk a little bit about reconciliation of wages. Um, That's something that many companies actually overlook. Uh, If you're processing your own payroll internally, and the poll said most of you are, this should be done at least um, every quarter. And for those of you who outsource your payroll, um, you should probably do this at least once a year or request that reconciliation from your service provider. Again, this is to make sure that the system is set up properly and that it's doing what you think it's going to be doing. After all, even if you are outsourcing, you as the employer are the one who's ultimately responsible for the accuracy of your payroll. So you should start with a logical tie-out of each earnings type. Uh, This means actually manually calculating overall taxable wages to make sure that that system is set up right. And additionally, the totals for the system should then tie to the actual compliance returns that you're filing. Uh, Sometimes adjustments get posted to the payroll system that's outside of the normal processes, or they're backdated into a previous quarter, and you don't want to receive a notice from the IRS or the Department of Labor, you know, a year or two down the road, notifying you that your W-2s don't tie to your quarterly reports. Um, It's also a good idea to reconcile your state totals to the federal totals. The state unemployment information should, again, uh, be pulled from the returns that were actually filed so that you can verify that, you know, what's in your system matches up with, you know, what the regulatory agencies have. Um, we also recommend doing a similar reconciliation with all your tax payments, and if possible, use information um, regarding actual payments that you're pulling from the agency websites. And we're going to kind of go through an example yeah, of this. we'll uh, do here in a little bit. More details on that, exactly. Again, you know, do any of your pertinent, pertinent research now because you know we're only going to get busier. Uh, make sure you know the fi- various filing deadlines. Keep a watch out for any IRS announcements of any changes. Make a checklist uh, um, instead of just really trying to remember all that stuff in your head. My head's full. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Got to have a list. You know, it's been an entire year since most of us went through this process, so it's always a good idea to go back and take a look at uh, what happened last year. Look at last year's file to see what adjustments you made, what fringe benefits were considered, any issues that you may have run into. Um, And in the second half of this webinar, we're also going to discuss things that we need to consider before we process that first payroll of 2022.
2: All right, so we spent some time uh, in a previous webinar, the Fringe Benefit webinar, talking about, you know, what the IRS and the Treasury uh, define as compensation. So we're not going to go through that in a lot of detail, but kind of a refresher of what compensation is. So compensation is going to include all income unless it is specifically excluded by law. Too many big words there. Um, This is going to include money, property, or services where... The employee is benefiting due to the employee-employer relationship. You're getting that because you work for the company. And those incomes aren't necessarily just payments of wages. Um, This can be the form of services, meals, stock, cash, or other property that you might receive. And keep in mind, a benefit provided on behalf of an employee is taxable to the employee, even if the benefit's received by a family member of the employee, like a spouse or a child. So this additional income potentially um, are employee discounts. If you are um, giving your employees discounts and that discounts above a certain threshold, part of it's actually taxable. Um, it is gift cards that you give your employees for, you know, that nice little um, Add-a-Boy um, or the Good Job Brownie. And if you're allowing spouses to travel to conferences, if, if we're traveling Probably. to conferences anymore. <laughs> Um, and you're paying for that, um, the portion of the spouse travel actually is compensation to the employee. So, these are all fringe benefits. So, you know, we've got a little, you know, splash there of all these different items that can be provided um, that we need to potentially identify and value. Um, A lot of these can be excludable uh, just based on substantiation um, and business purposes. Um, And again, we did do a full webinar on fringe benefits. Again, aghuniversity.com. Um, A little self-help here, Um, resources that you can look at, Publication 15B. Um, They did release last week um, the revised, actually I think it's a draft form of 15B for 2022. Always look at the What's New section. They've always got information in there and reminders. Uh, Publication 5137, the Fringe Benefit Guide, Um, this one I think has better examples or more real-life examples in it uh, than just the 15B. And then there's also a uh, Form 14581A, uh, which is a self-assessment. It's geared towards um, governmental entities, but I think the questions that they're asking are solid, really, for any type of entity that's out there. You know, when you're doing your fringe benefits for your employees um, and you decide that you're going to pay the employee portion of taxes, remember that the payment of those taxes is also classified as wages. So you do need to gross up the earnings using this formula that we've got there. Um, Be careful. You need to consider not only FICA and Medicare, but federal income tax, state withholding tax, and any applicable local tax agencies as well. Um, Another one that we've kind of been getting a few gotchas, um, some 401K plans, the uh, definition of comp, might include include fringes. Um, The other wages definitely for gross up um, are W-2 wages you might also have to gross up for 401k deferrals. When you're doing those taxes, make sure that you look at the year-to-date amounts for your employees. Um, If they've hit the FICA threshold, you will not need to gross up for that tax. Any employees that have hit over $200,000 in Medicare wages, you also need to um, calculate the additional 0.9%. So that will be 2.35% on those type of wages. And keep in mind, employees that have exceeded a million dollars in comp will be required to use the federal withholding rate of 37% instead of the supplemental rate of 22%. Um, we do have this little calculator in a spreadsheet, so if you'd like that, go ahead and let Mike know, and we'll send that to you
1: in an email. So let's move into some helpful minder- reminders for uh, reporting. You know, many many of us... Uh, experience paying wages for qualified sick and or family leave in accordance with the Family's First Act. So let's walk through how these should be reported on the W-2. I'm going to throw in here, keep in mind, um, you may still have COVID reporting on this fourth
2: quarter 941, um, because although the program ended 930, it's for wages worked through 930. So you actually might have paid those in fourth quarter. So
1: keep an eye on your 941 still. Yeah, good point. So qualified sick leave wages, qualified family leave wages, those should be reported in boxes one, three, and five, as the wages are subject to withholding, and by state. When we say box one, we mean the state box as well. Okay. Um, as uh, all these wages, are, they're all subject to withholding FICA and Medicare for the employee. The applicable wage bases and tax rates apply just like they would for any other wages. Additionally, the employer must either include the wages in box 14. Or um, supply an, ad- an additional spread uh, statement that goes along with the W-2. Uh, the language should be similar to what's shown here on the slide. And yes, each of the types need to be listed separately. Um, should the employer provide this on a separate statement, it should be delivered, like I said, at the same time as in the same method as the W-2. Other items that need to be considered and possibly entered. Uh, prior to the end of the year, include reporting of employer-provided health coverage. That's still reported in Box 12, Code DD. And this continues to be informational-only data, and it includes the total cost of employer-provided coverage regardless of who's paying those costs. This means that both the employee and employer portions of the premium should be included. Um, Employers who filed less than 250 W-2s in the prior year are still not subject to this reporting requirement. Uh, this type of relief remains in effect until, you know, we hear something from the IRS, yeah. further guidance. Um, deferred comp, if you have employees with non-qualified deferred comp plans under Section 409A, you need to determine if there was any change to any vesting of the benefit as well as review any contributions to that plan to determine taxability. Uh, Make sure that you record any third-party sick pay that's applicable. There's different arrangements with those third-party providers to make sure that you understand your responsibilities related to that Mm -hmm. arrangement. Keep in mind that if the payments are made after an employee's death or the payments are attributable to employee contributions made with after-tax dollars, uh, those payment amounts are not subject to income tax withholding. Uh, If your third party is not your agent, then you're going to be responsible for withholding and reporting FICA and Medicare and any federal income tax withholding that the employee requests. In this arrangement, the third party is going to notify you of the payments so that you can then record and pay the employer portion of taxes. If the third party is your agent or you are making the payments directly to the employee, you are responsible for withholding FICA and Medicare from the payments and should use the employee's W-4 to calculate Um, the withholding amount. Uh, Make sure you clarify with your provider who's responsible for uh, preparing uh, and filing the W-2s. If your provider prepares them, you will need to complete a third party recap. Another piece of information uh, that you need to identify is any special codes that you're going to uh, populate in Box 12 of the employee's W-2. A couple of the more commonly ones used are Code C, which is the taxable cost of group life um, over $50,000. Codes D and AA, that's the 401K and Roth contributions to retirement plans. Um, Code P, that's the excludable expense reimbursements paid, uh, moving expense reimbursements paid directly to an employee. Trick mention.
2: This is a trick
1: mention. (laughs)
2: Um, Actually,
1: only the armed forces uh, can use this now.
2: I think it's important that we can continue to bring it up. Um, You know, this, uh, moving expenses no longer can be provided um, as non-taxable uh, compensation,
1: but I still have employers, you know, that are submitting, hey, we paid these moving expenses this, this year. I heard you on the phone just the other day, something about that, and I'm like, wow, still, we'll just leave it in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so additionally, there's codes for third-party sick, deferred comp plans, and a whole bunch of others that you can see here. Um, so, Sonia, are there any gotchas or other items that we should be aware of? Um one of the other one that kind of comes to mind is there's a
2: pension checkbox um, on the yeah. form, and people are always saying, you know, oh, how does that work? So that's going to be checked if the employee is a participant in a defined benefit plan. So if you've got, you know, like a pension plan, you're not going to know about the old style plan. The old style plan, yeah. you know, you need to find out who's a participant because that's not tracked in payroll. Um, It's also checked if they're deferring in a retirement plan, which you will know because that is handled through payroll, um, or if the employer has made contributions to a plan, even if they aren't deferring. So this would be like a profit-sharing contribution um, or some type of thing that's not based on the employee deferring. Again, that's not calculated typically in payroll, so you need to ask about that one.
1: ACA information reporting that was first required in 2015 for applicable large employers, ALEs. Um, We keep hoping that goes away, but it it hasn't. Uh, Generally, this includes employers with more than 50 full-time equivalents, and that calculation includes both full-time and part-time employees. Uh, To satisfy the employer mandate, the reports include information about whether healthcare coverage was offered and if it was affordable. Um, There are three series of forms uh, regarding the ACA reporting that we always just kind of like to briefly recap. The A-series forms, that's prepared for individuals that have purchased their health insurance out there on the marketplace. Uh, The B-series forms are typically prepared by health insurance providers for fully insured plans uh, where the company has more than 50 uh, full-time equivalents or by self-insured plans where the employer has less than 50 full-time equivalents. These forms are going to provide the health insurance coverage information uh, for the employees and their dependents. And finally, then, we have the C-series forms, and those are prepared by the employers. Uh, That includes information about the type of coverage and the affordability of the coverage that's been offered to your employees. And for self-insured plans that have more than 50 FTEs, uh, they'll also complete the section about the coverage information for employees and their dependents. These forms will be due to your employees by the end of February. Actually, I think it's like March 2nd, 2nd. because just the way that extension went. And we've got this in the deadline. They're also due to the IRS by the end of February, unless you file electronically, which then they're due by the end of March. Um, And reconciling. Okay. So now that we've gathered all the employee compensation and have it recorded, what are our next steps? We want to manually calculate taxable wages uh, to make sure that our payroll system is set up. Properly. Additionally, the totals for the s- payroll system, as we said earlier, should be tied to the actual compliance forms that are filed. And if you're processing your own payroll internally, again, we recommend this be done each and every quarter. And if you're not, if you're outsourcing it, you know, really, we encourage you to do it at least once a year, or ask your payroll provider um, to give you their reconciliation. If they can't provide you something like that, it's time to ask a few more questions. Yeah, you bet. Um, After all, you know, you are the one that's ultimately responsible for the accuracy of your payroll. Right. I'll go ahead and take these. Okay. Um, So, again, we recommend
2: that at least no less frequently than annually, if you're doing this yourself, I do it quarterly, uh, prepare a reconciliation of your wages, deductions, and taxable wages. So, one easy way to do it is to create a spreadsheet. Again, this is a spreadsheet we have that we're happy to share. Um, first, we're listing here all of our earnings um, and the taxability based on those different tax buckets. Uh, so, you can see I've got a column there for each of our taxes, FIT, FICA, so on and so forth. Um, and each in each of those columns, I've got an indicator, a 1 if it's considered taxable, and a 0 if it's considered non-taxable for each of those buckets. And then it's going to carry it uh, via the formula into our different wage buckets as we carry across the right. So, as an example, um, if you look at, like, our fringe, well, let's pop down to, like, third-party long-term. That's only subject to fit and sit, and so we can see that it's only populating those columns um, as we look at that. The exact same logic here is going to apply as we look at our deductions. Um, although we're using a negative one to reduce our taxable wages. So if you look at our 401k, you'll see we've got a negative one in the fit and sick columns as they reduce those buckets. Um, another trick we like to use as we are naming, if you have the ability to name your own codes, um, a lot of times we're putting an ER at the end of all of our employer deductions because, of course, those have no um, tax impact to our employees And if it's a pre-tax, we'll put 125. Pre-tax, typically, they're under your Section 125 plan, Uh, so we're just kind of listing those there. It makes it a little bit easier if you're calculating a running tape uh, where you can just include and exclude exclude those Mm -hmm. types of things. Um, Most employers can verify that your FIT wages uh, plus your 401k deductions is going to be equal to your FICA and Medicare. Uh, FICA wages should equal wages taxable for FUTA, Unless you've got group term life, which is excluded from FUTA, so you'd back the FUTA out of that. Um, So not only are you looking at those buckets, but compare them to each other to make sure that they make sense. Um, Do keep in mind there are certain states that don't follow the federal rules for certain deductions. So there may be uh, circumstances where the logic doesn't always hold true. So as an example, both Iowa and Texas include pre-tax deductions when calculating state unemployment taxable wages. You'll also see in the lower right corner, um, this is a multi-state company. So we've also broken out the wages by SIT and SUI income tax and uh, unemployment to make sure that they validate back up to our total
1: uh, wages there.
2: Um, The other thing that you want to do at year end is you want to reconcile the data held in your payroll system uh, to your quarterly compliance returns. So compilation of this data after each quarter makes it a little bit easier at each end. So each quarter we're completing the quarterly information. Um, And you wanna use this information to make sure that your 941s match your W3 and W2s. Um, This can be used to assist with tax payment reconciliation. Any discrepancies between your 941s and your W3 is gonna generate a notice from the SSA. So again, this information is compiled from the quarterly returns. Take it off the returns that you file. Don't necessarily use the reports in your system. You want to do what was filed. Including amended returns. Absolutely. That's why we're saying, you know, use your returns. So um, if you do have a 941X, then you're definitely going to want to include a line for those um, quarter-end pieces. Again, on this spreadsheet, we're breaking out our different states for income tax and state unemployment. Uh, The state unemployment information should, again, be filed from the returns that were filed, so you can verify that what's in your system, what was actually filed with the agencies. Um, Again, if you made an adjustment in your system and you're just pulling the reports, but you never filed an amended, this is one of the ways that you're going to catch that. And then finally, you'll see at the bottom, uh, we're tying out our state wages to the federal wages. Um, as well as listing the total state withholding so that we can compare this to our W-3. Again, we also recommend doing a reconciliation uh, with all your tax payments. Um, And again, if possible, use the information from your actual tax agencies um, instead of just reports. Um, If you don't have the tax agency, then a bank rec where you can validate that those payments actually cleared uh, would be another place that you could do that.
1: All right, so let's shift now a little bit into deadlines, penalties, common errors to avoid. Um, So you you want to take this? Yeah, I got (laughs) it.
2: (laughs) All right, so let's just say that now uh, January 31st is the magic date for everything. Uh, Back in October of 2016, the PAP Act uh, was enacted and included changes to filing deadlines. And now just about everything is due by the end of January. Um, This year, January 31st, falls on a Monday, so that will be the actual due date. Um, So, this is going to include your Q4 941s, as well as your annual 940 return. Um, Companies do need to distribute W-2s to your employees no later than the end of January, so 131. Both paper-filed W-2s and electronically filed W-2s are due to the Social Security admin uh, by the end of January. Um, and then additionally, most 1099s are mm-hmm. on, on payroll. Yeah, accounting. <laughs> um, are due by the end of January as well. Correct. Um, the other thing to think about is you know, lots of the states have now followed that federal um, deadline. Um, a lot of the states, we were really not having to file until the end of February. There's really just a handful that no longer are doing or that are not using January 31st. So if you're multi state, either research your state, make sure that you know that date, or to be safe, just use that 131 date. Yeah. Um, So let's talk a little bit about ACA. Um, So last year, the IRS told us, it was the last year uh, that they would be extending the deadlines for providing your ACA forms to employees. Um, The the deadline is January 31st. Um, However, there's proposed legislation out there, yay, uh, that permanently is extending uh, the due date by 30 days, so March 2nd is the distribution date for employees. Um, and all this is still a proposed regulation. It is stated that we are allowed to take advantage of the extension, so your forms to employees are due March 2nd. Um, as a reminder, oh, I've got that, I've, I've got that there. Um, February 28th is the date to file your paper forms. Um, It's different from the March 2nd, because March 2nd is 30 days from January 31st, but the paper form deadline is 228, so a little confusing. Uh, But if you're filing electronically, then March 31st is that submission date. Uh, The other thing I want to point out, uh, last year was the final year for accuracy-related penalty relief. Um, So, accuracy on these forms is important, as penalties will be imposed for incorrect returns. We've been marching along uh, for seven years with those good faith efforts,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, be, having the ability to eliminate penalties if they were incontr- incorrect, but that's that's gone away. Um, the other thing, as was the case since 2019, so this is kind of a roll forward, um, the IRS will waive penalties for failing to furnish the B-copy forms when employers and health insurers meet defined requirements. Um, again, B forms are typically completed by the insurance companies. Um, the reason this relief applies is uh, the individual shared responsibility payment, which was um, part of the individual mandate, no longer applies. It's been reduced to zero. Um, so basically, we're saying individuals no longer need the information on the B forms to comport, compute their federal tax liability, um, so they really don't need it by Janu- January any longer. Um, They do, however, have to make sure that uh, they're posting a notice prominently on your website that employees can request a copy of the form, Um, and then if requested, you do have to provide the form within 30 days of receiving that request. You still have to provide them to the IRS. Uh, This is just a relief for providing to employees. Just a reminder that electronic reporting of W-2s is required for any employer with 250 or 50 more W-2s, um, but filing is encouraged, strongly encouraged, for others below that 250 threshold. Um, these same requirements, again, apply for the 1099 filing. So, make sure that you look at the requirements for the various states you're in as well, uh, because their requirements are independent of the Fed. And I would say a good, ham- good, good portion of them, that threshold is much lower than 250. Um, a couple things that we want to think about. One, um, the SSA has updated their W-2 um, electronic wage file upload. So, if you're doing your own payroll and are used to updating that through the um, SSA BSO site, be aware uh, that there is a new option. Previously, we did have to uh, validate your file using AccuWage and then submit the file, and then you sit there and wait. You'd have to check back the next day to see if it was accepted. Um, now, it's kind of one-stop shop. So, the new option, you're going to upload your file. It's going to validate the file. It's going to do some error checking. Um, and if everything looks good, then it's going to come back with an immediate
1: confirmation. So, I like that. Okay. One more thing to point out. Um, you know, let's all think about security and W-2s. Uh, we've seen year-after-year stories about empl- uh, employers that are providing W-2s in bulk via email Responding to phishing scams. Hey, the,
2: this is the CEO. Can you send me all the
1: W-2s? <laughs> Responding to those the phishing scams where the request appears to be from uh, a company executive, um, any requests for W-2s that come via email should be verified prior to sending. I mean, that doesn't mean send an email back. That means pick up the phone and verify, or walk down the hall and verify. Yeah, the,
2: yeah. I mean, we, we used to say sometimes. Uh, but if you just generate a new email to that individual, that's probably. But you know that makes you nervous either because you know CEO's on vacation and
1: somebody's hacked into his email. Right. So okay. just make sure you're being careful. Um, you know it's funny Sonia here at the office actually has an entire folder in her email um, software that contains examples of these that are coming all the time internally and from oh yeah, yeah and from clients. Yeah, so, they're like oh it never happens to us. I go look I got all these emails. Yeah, that's that's
2: smart. That's- <laughs>
1: So let's talk about W-2 filing penalties next. There's actually three different penalties that can be assessed related to the filing of all information reporting forms. So that's W-2s, 1099s, et cetera. These are the same penalties, um, like I said, that are in place for those 1099s that we've talked about before as well. The first two listed here involve a failure to furnish correct payee statements and the failure to file correct returns with the IRS. Um, So everybody's filing, in both of those places. So if one's wrong, the other's probably wrong. So the amount of the penalty is based on when you file the correct return or furnish the correct payee statement. Uh, the penalty for not filing a correct information return is actually separate from the penalty for not providing the correct payee statement. So as an example, you know if you don't file a correct W-2 form with the IRS and you don't provide that a correct one to the payee, you you're going to be subject to two penalties. Among other things, these increased penalties will apply. Um, to W 2's 1099 series ACA, shared responsibility, and, and minimal essential coverage uh, reporting forms. If an applicable large employer with 100 full time equivalents or full time employees makes zero effort to comply with the regulation or reporting requirements of the ACA, you're immediately looking at a minimum $56,000 fine out of the gate. And people, I could use $56,000 <laughs> in my pocket. So they're they're real, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, the Social Security Administration encourages all employers to file electronically. Uh, however, you know, as Sonia said, you're really only required to file electronically if you have 250 or more. Uh, but there's also penalties for not filing electronically when you're required to. Uh, That penalty is up to $280 per form for each form over that $250 uh, filing threshold. Uh, For the ACA forms, if you're required to file electronically but fail to do so and you do not have an approved waiver, you can be subject to that same penalty of $280 per return um, unless you establish reasonable cause. Um, However, you can file up to 250 returns on paper. Those returns aren't going to be subject to the penalty for failure to file electronically. Um, and the penalty applies separately to originally filed returns and corrected filed returns. So one thing
2: I want to mention, I thought we had it in here, but we haven't come across it yet. So if we do it again, we'll just say it twice. Uh, that 250 limit on W-2s next year, 10..
1: Yeah. So uh, if you're not filing electronically, and, and I haven't seen anything similar to that for 1099 reporting because typically those have maintained the same thresholds. Yeah, um, But, yeah, definitely on W-2. So heads up. So um, the IRS always has a few possible exceptions to the penalties. Uh, the first one is uh, reasonable cause, and you could show reasonable cause, not nil- willful neglect um, if you can show that your failure was due to an event that was beyond your control or due to a significant mitigating factor. You must also show that you acted in a responsible manner and took um, steps to avoid that failure. Um, An inconsequential error or omission is another one that's not uh, considered a failure to include correct information. This is something like um, an error that doesn't prevent or hinder the IRS from processing the return or from correlating the information uh, with the payee's tax return. However, uh, things that are never considered inconsequential are those that are related to a tax ID number, a payee's surname, or any monetary amount. Like an address typo, right? Okay. Okay. The minimus rules for corrections: uh, those, um, you know, if you filed those returns timely, uh, either filed to failed to include all information required or included incorrect information, and you file the corrections by August one. If all three of those conditions are met, um, you still have a penalty. Uh, But the penalty for filing incorrect returns will not apply to the greater of 10 returns or half of a percent of the total number of returns that you're required to file. So a little relief, not a lot. Additionally, a safe harbor rule um, for de minimis dollar amounts on information returns and payee statements is out there. Um, And basically, they're fairly minimal. But uh, if the difference between the dollar amount reported and the correct amount is no more than $100, or if the difference between the dollar amount reported for tax and the correct amount is no more than $25. Um, However, um, it doesn't apply if your recipient or your payee or your employee actually requests to receive a corrected statement. In that case, a corrected return must be filed uh, with the IRS and a corrected statement uh, must be furnished to the recipient. Perfect, I'll just point out too, since we're
2: talking about corrections, if you correct your W-2s, you're probably going to have to amend your 941s as
1: well. Yeah, keep that in mind. And maybe your state returns and maybe mean, be thinking about the mm-hmm. all of it. So, you know, we've talked about future credit, uh, credit reduction states for a while. Um, it, it, it used to be a pretty big item, but we still want to point it out. This list, uh, you know, several years ago was pretty big as a result of the recession in 20, 2007 and 2008. Man, my words are jumbling today. Uh, For 2020, really the only remaining state or territory is the Virgin Islands. Right. Um, State unemployment benefit payouts and connections with COVID-19 have really been substantial in 2020 and 2021. And that's placing an unprecedented strain on the various state unemployment trust funds. Um, So, you know, just like it was in the financial collapse back in the, you know, a, a decade ago, at least 19 states so far have needed to request and receive federal loans to meet this demand. So this is something we're gonna to have to keep an eye on, but that list might start growing again. Yeah. And again, this is based on you know receiving those loans and then not paying them back within a certain amount of time. Right.
2: All right, so back to me. So, uh, so what are some of the common errors that we come across related to year-end payroll? Um, again, not complying with various state issues. So this includes state filing deadlines, different from the federal deadlines, um, or your state electronic filing requirements different from the settlement requirements. Um, I'd also say that many companies are just not aware of all the compliance issues related to being in the different states, registrations and forms, reporting requirements, um, all of those types of things. There's also, you know, additional leave policies that you have to implement. So make sure that you're paying attention. Um, Another thing that I want to talk about those state compliance issues is remote workers. Most people are in the states uh, because of remote workers. A lot of the states, um, you know, kind of gave some guidance. If you were in a border city and you had employees doing COVID work from home now, Kansas and Missouri, uh, they weren't too tough on making sure that withholding was right, but they're kind of over that. So if you've got employees that are remote, In a different state, you really should be withholding tax based on where they're working. Um, It's kind of like per diems. Once it's been more than a year, it's not temporary anymore. Other common errors involve overlooking fringe benefits and other compensable items. Uh, We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, And then SSNs not matching uh, to our W-2s. So um, use eVerify, their social security number verification. Um, Make sure that you're looking at those types of things. Um, The employer FICA tax deferral, um, you know, in 2020, employers have the ability from March 27th through the end of the year to defer their employer portion of FICA taxes. Um, 50% of that deferred amount is now due by December 31st, 2021, and then again, the second half will be due in 2022. In October, um, the IRS, or so they say, um, issued reminder notices with the amounts due for each quarter. I've had some employers that received them. I've had some employers that did not. Um, and those amounts should have been showing what is owed for each quarter. Um, these amounts need to be paid by the applicable due date, even if you don't get a reminder notice. So if you know you deferred your taxes and you don't get a notice, pay those things. Um, you know, Otherwise, you're going to be um, getting a lot of penalties and that type of thing. Um, Payments need to be made by tax period. So if you defer taxes in all three quarters, then you're gonna need to make a payment for each quarter. Uh, There is a new payment type under EFTPS that's called deferral payment. So make sure if you're doing your own payments to select that new proper code so that it's paid properly. Um, Also keep in mind that um, late payment penalties, up to 15% of the tax due, Um, will apply to those taxes if it's not made by the applicable date. Some of the notices that we receive from the IRS aren't necessarily matching with what we thought was 50% of the FICA deferral. We're actually rounding up our payments a little bit just to put a cushion in there. Again, we haven't gotten notices from everyone. You know, we feel like our numbers are accurate, but we just don't want to put anybody in jeopardy.
1: Because if any of the payment is late... It's all considered I think it's just going to be 15% of the 50% that was... Right. But, I mean, if
2: any of that 50% is late... Yeah. So, if you you deferred $100,000, $50,000 is due this year, you'd get a 15% penalty of $50,000. Right.
1: Right. Which can be big. It can be big. So, let's talk a little bit about the Employer Retention Tax Credit. Um, That was originally available on wages paid by eligible employers through December 31st of 2021. The Infrastructure Act that came out um, last month retroactively terminated this credit effective the end of Q3, so September 30th of 2021, unless the employer is a recovery startup business. So, accordingly, and I've had some uh, employers that didn't know this, accordingly, the employer retention credits no longer available on most wages that are paid after September 30th. Right. Now, you know, those employers out there who anticipated receiving the credit based on payroll taxes that were after September 30th, but before the law was signed, um, some of you retained those payroll taxes or received an advance credit. So, you know, what the heck do we do with that? Um, so, if, if you're in that boat, um, the if you're in that boat, they need to be repaid. And the IRS right. has come out with some guidance on that um so if you reduce your tax payments i'm the one that does the
2: payroll i know yeah. this one by <laughs> um, so if you reduce your tax payments with your regularly scheduled deposits you need to repay any of those reductions back um, as if your payroll was dated on 12 31 2020 so it would be based on whatever your normal 2021 uh, 2021 sorry um <laughs> due date is if your pay period was on 12 31 so you know into january Um, And then if you did a $7,200 advance request and received those funds, that has to be repaid by the due date of your tax return. So, that would be your 941 which is going to be due January 1st of 2022. Um, Finally, if you don't qualify for relief under this notice um, and you do get a penalty, they are saying that if you've got um, sufficient explanation that they may uh, consider reasonable cause relief for that.
1: So let's uh, you know, wind up here with some helpful reminders in next year's payroll. Perfect. So again, you wanna validate and test your tax dates. Uh, test your tax
2: updates uh, to your payroll software. Make sure new wage bases are included for unemployment, FICA's got an increase, check your supplemental rates, minimum wages, all that good stuff. Uh, double check with HR, make sure that if there's any additions or changes to your benefits package, you're getting those implemented. And then make sure if you're doing open enrollment, you're getting those new and changed benefits in the season, cost increases, all that good stuff. Make sure that your accumulators reset with the first payroll of the new year. It could be your time off buckets. could be 401K uh, deferrals, HSA deferrals, um, and those types of things, anything that's got, you know, those annual limits.
1: So you also want to make sure that your system's set up with all the other changes, the, numer- uh, the numbers and accumulators that go into effect. Um, many rates and wage limits are adjusted annually by the IRS, and then they're released. The only one here uh, is related uh, to FICA and Medicare withholdings is, is an increase to that FICA wage base. Yes, just the FICA wage base. Um, IRS announced 2021 retirement plan limitations last month. There's really no change to the elective deferral amounts on these defined contribution plans, but here's an increase in the annual complement. Correct. Oh, actually, there are increases. Sorry. Yep. On the simple, yeah, you're you're correct. I'm bad. (laughs) Um, you know, the mileage, we always put the question marks in here because those usually aren't released until the last half of December, so keep your eye out for this one. I'm not sure why we actually even include this slide. Because <laughs> people ask me about it. What's the mileage rate for next year? Don't know. Don't know. <laughs> um, and this slide shows this changes in the standard deductions for the various filing status. This is for your income taxes. Um, you know, recall that the annual personal exemption was eliminated beginning in 2018. Uh, so why do we show these? It's really because they have an impact on the various withholding tables that get released. Exactly. And here's a few more categories, and the only change here is a slight increase in the HSA. HSA and the flex. They did a little bit on the flex again yeah. this year. Uh, state unemployment wage bases uh, that have changed that we know of so far are listed here. The wage bases are increasing for most of the states with changes, um, although there are a few states that have base decreases. But we don't really see any of those here. Um, you know, and and then also there's some here that haven't been announced yet. So again, if you're in any of those any of those um, states, we just kind of you need to kind of watch out for it. Watch for them. You bet. Um States with minimum wage changes, those are listed here, effective at the beginning of the year, unless anything's noted otherwise and we didn't have any. Sometimes those states will do it in July or some, mid-year. some weird time like that. Um, so if you've got employees in any of these states, you want to make sure that you kind of look those up as well. Yeah. Make sure, too, that you're paying attention. Um, some
2: cities actually have a minimum wage that's different mm-hmm. from their state. So, again, make sure you're paying attention uh, and documenting wherever you're at you got to keep up with a lot in payroll. A
1: lot. <laughs> so much. So a couple of last things that we want to mish- mention. Um, I, uh, the IRS has issued a draft version of publication 15. Right. Uh, the topics listed here are included in that what's new section that Sonia talked about that it's always kind of good to, to yeah. look at. Interestingly, it's pretty much exactly what it was last year because we're still dealing with
2: some of these COVID type things. You
1: know, lastly, keep your eyes and ears open for any new legislation. We've still got the the, I think it's called the build back better act. That's, sitting out there pending in Congress. Um, Don't know exactly what that will look like when it comes out until it actually comes out. Um, And as we've done in the last couple of years, AGH will continue to issue alerts, um, write articles on timely topics, and these can all be found on our website. Or if you go to our website, there's a place where you can opt in if you're not already getting those, um, so that you can make sure that you get on our distribution list for that. One of the things I find interesting is, you know, the Build Back Better
2: legislation, um, we've got a little uh, research tool that we use, and we get kind of some previews on proposed legislation or pending legislation. Um, I'm surprised there's still some things that they're putting out there—not necessarily COVID—but they're still looking at, you know, doing a lot of these credits through payroll. Through payroll, so because um, then you to, don't have
1: to wait 18 months when you file your tax return. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, so with that, um, you know, both Sonia and I, we want to thank you for joining us today. Um, it's always good to be around you. We hear from a lot of you. Uh, hope you'll check out our other webinar topics on our website. And you know, as our Payroll Service Bureau here at AGH begins the the year-end payroll journey, you know, we want to leave you with happy thoughts and wish you a happy holiday season. So with that, I think we'll just turn it back over to Mike.